0: So one of my first full I mean you couldn't call it a program but maybe a script was I created a Python script that would take that data and then compare it with each with each employee salary based on market and mm-hmm. found out that at least <laughs> at least eight employees were significantly underpaid.
1: Hey guys, my name is Ellie Feiner and this is Stop Building where I do my best to get founders to set aside their ID and talk to some potential users. This rarely works, but I love these conversations anyway.
0: How was your, I think you had holidays last week?
1: I was, yeah, I was, I I took a couple of days off from life and family and work and everything.
0: Good, Uh, good, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, did you do I tried to do this or... as often
1: as possible. No, I did Actually this time I did go anywhere special. We you know, we live in in a really really beautiful town, mountains and nature and blue skies around up here in Canada. So I don't wow. need to go anywhere special to like see beauty. But
0: Oh, perfect. Wow.
1: Yeah. But you know, just being at home and working and and kids and like I need <laughs> i need some space (laughs) do do you have kids
0: yeah no no i'm i'm currently well i have i have a significant other but it's it's been long distance so it's yeah i Mm. i get i get plenty of good alone time which is which is nice but also yeah i could i could understand a lot of my friends have kids and it could get pretty hectic so i could it it does
1: it does yeah it does get hectic and and our kids are nine and three, and you know, nine-year-old can be left alone for for hours mm-hmm. at a time. He's fine, but like our three-year-old, she needs she needs more attention. And when they're <laughs> together, there's like so. Sometimes <laughs> I just need to get away. My wife does too. We're actually trying to solve this in a more permanent way by renting an office space in town in the evening. Oh, nice. So like ah. we're, I'm going to check it out today. So 4 p.m. to 9, we'll have a space to go. One of us, obviously, mm-hmm. on on alternate days, and then that's the space to either work or not work or just be by ourselves in a nice, pretty space. Just to, I know, read a book, take a nap, whatever, <laughs> whatever is needed at that particular day. So that's that's, oh, that's the plan to try to. That's a great make idea,
0: actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a great idea. I know a lot of people they have kind of a home office, but you know, even at a home office, you're still in the house. So You're still in the house. Oh, I, you yeah. know,
1: I have so we have two. My wife has like a room, I have a a space we set up in our bedroom which is larger than than we need. But if I'm here and even like if you and I are talking, we're having conversation, if my my son comes from school, the first thing he does is like, <laughs> Hey dad, <laughs> I'm home. Oh yeah, attention! I need attention. <laughs> and both of them are like that. Like that's not helpful. Uh.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh for sure, for sure. There was a little bit of a time where I was staying at a friend of mine's place up in Seattle, and they have two uh, really great daughters. But whenever they know I'm there, that you know, they think I'm just the guy that'll play with them. So. I remember I was working remotely. Uncle as,
1: Ryushio, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so, so, there there was a time, there was a couple of days where I'd be trying to work, but then I'd hear knocking on the door the whole day. So
1: <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. No, it's, that. So that's so so. Last week you asked me about last week. I I oh, try yeah. to do this at least once a month, or oh, I have up to this point where i would go and book a couple of nights or three nights in an airbnb and my wife does this too on alternate weeks mm-hmm. and i would usually go like fairly far away like maybe an hour drive from here like to be in nature oh, wow. and space but mm-hmm. it didn't actually work out this time so it it was actually like like 5 minutes away from here really close oh. <laughs> but it's a different space it's someone else's house and and I spent like an evening, a day, like a night, and a morning there, so you know, like maybe thirty six hours yeah. and I came back uh, and I even worked like it's not that I didn't work, but I came back rejuvenated like oh this is this is so awesome. I want to do this all <laughs> the time and the other thing we kind of thought about my wife and I is like a lot of our friends around here are divorced mm-hmm. and we were looking at how divorced uh, couples live, how they live. So, you know, they do like either the dad spends the the weekdays with the kids and the and the mom the weekend or the other way around or some kind of arrangement where they're not together because they don't want to live together. And right. we looked at that like they have so much space for themselves. Can we can we implement some of that divorced lifestyle without <laughs> getting a divorce? <laughs> there, there's some some serious benefits to 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 like each each of the parents needs to take more full complete responsibility over the kids when they're with them right but the other one gets freedom and it has the extra added cost of maintaining two houses but when people get divorced they don't all like we can't afford two houses let's not get a divorce they get a divorce Mm -hmm. and they figure it out it's harder it's like wait a second is that like, is that possible without having a fight? Like, can we love each other and still do that? <laughs> maybe even love each other even more because we now have space for yeah, ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. actually, I, I don't know. Uh, you might be onto something there. Um, <laughs> I I mean, obviously, I'm not maybe but uh, the, I mean, I've growing up in a in a household, you know, where both parents are divorced and and kind of seeing that as more healthy. In some aspects, oh, I could kind of see that. <laughs> but yeah, I never yeah. thought of that. That's that's the, like, together, It's but... like,
1: as I grow older, you know, there's this, and we'll get to the business of things oh. in a sec, but uh, this is just a fascinating oh, yeah, conversation. <laughs> because as I grow older, I recognize that some things that seem completely incomprehensible to me suddenly make sense. For example, I thought it was so weird that older couples slept in separate beds or even in separate bedrooms. That's like, no, that's the opposite of love. Where's the romance? That means you're not getting along. This is awful. Like, how can you do that? And as I get older, I'm like, wait a second. My wife snores. She does. She snores like she, she has a pretty strong <laughs> snore. And sleeping with her in the same bed is a fairly unpleasant experience. Like I Like, I like falling asleep Next to her, if we fall asleep at the same time, which also doesn't happen every night, like I like the mm-hmm. the physical intimacy aspect of our relationship, but sleeping together in the same bed yeah, is yeah, a yeah. separate thing. I actually <laughs> yeah. like to get together with her for an evening of of physical pleasure, and then go sleep in a different room, it <laughs> yeah. up in my own blanket. It's like why 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 is that so difficult? from a societal standpoint to accept as normal. <laughs> like why do we yeah. need to fit ourselves into these molds that don't actually like maybe they work for some people, but not others. Like and you know and, and an extension of sleeping in different rooms is actually sleep is actually to an extent living in separate houses. Mm-hmm. To to achieve that level of privacy and time with yourself that each of us needs, but usually most people don't get. So that's, yeah. that's what we're, that's uh, what we're playing with here.
0: No, it, it's funny you bring this up because I've had a, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny you bring this up because this was one of the big things between my, me and my girlfriend. So I was early, probably the first half of this year, I was in Thailand and it was kind of the first time we're spending time together and, you know, she would obviously one, have one bed, so we'd share it. But this time I'm the one that snores so uh, i yeah you uh, apparently i really loudly but i i also found out i had uh, sleep apnea which is part of the problem so mm-hmm. i sleep with this with the, with the thing yeah but, was... uh, yeah exactly the sleep machine yeah it, it yeah, just yeah, blows air into your nose and but my girl yeah so even my girlfriend she's i guess a really light sleeper so say I'll move and the the arrows start blowing and start making noise that'll wake her up so and and yeah and she I, she'd always wake up miserable and a little grumpy and I'd always be like what's wrong and she's like I didn't get good enough sleep I was like oh did it too loud or was the machine too loud and yeah I woke up you know a few times because of it I always offer I'm like hey I'm I'm okay sleeping on the couch but for her I think same like you there's whole it's
1: like, we're, right, we'll, like, if you're sleeping on the couch, we're breaking up, together, right? So <laughs> it's not even a relationship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do you mean? Like, this is like I the fundamental. Be... Yeah. Because, and I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think, the, I think it comes from, from two places. One is, well, for a very long time, most people just did not have enough space to do that kind of thing. My parents had a bedroom and there was a bed in the bedroom and there was absolutely no way for them to even consider sleeping separately. So that was one thing. The other thing is there's a societal dogma represented in movies of how Mm. relationships should be,
0: how sex
1: should look, Right. It's like, and, and these things are not necessarily applicable to an individual relationship with the individual, sorry, with the indi- individual works of two people. Like a romantic yeah, yeah, movie oh, yeah. typically does not have one of the partners oh, snore the roof off <laughs> and, and needing to deal with that that yeah. that's that's comedy material but then yeah. you don't take it seriously but life is yeah. like that it's not like the the yeah. romantic movie it's more closer to like a to how a comedy looks than how to how like a romantic movie looks like romantic yeah. movies are are an idealization of what it is but also it it also flattens it because relationships are not they don't fit into a mold
0: it's not it's not like no that. no no mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. I agree. I think there's definitely that aspect of it too, but yeah. So that's a, that was a good d- discovery. Also, okay, that that's great. So you, uh, I think I did see a post from you on Twitter where where you did say you were looking for um an office space. So that's I think that's a great idea.
1: Yeah, we did. We we found one, and I think it has serious carbon monoxide issues. <gasps> Oh, yeah, because we spent we spent like 15 minutes there and came out with both like it's a beautiful office space a great, great space. But we came out of there 15 minutes later with, with like a headache and nausea. And then the next day I oh. said, I want to I want to like maybe it's accidental. Maybe we ate something like who knows uh, what's going on. Let me try it the next morning. And I would, I would like, I was clear headed and everything was good. I was feeling good. I went to the office again and spent i think 20 minutes there reading a book and came out like ha ah, this is oh warm. yikes yeah i looked up i looked up the symptoms online kind of looks like co poisoning <laughs> and even oh, if yikes. it isn't
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I I mean, I think. You know, poison. It's it's odorless, right? So you can't even. It's tell odorless. It's you don't. You replaced. don't. You
1: don't feel it. It just replaces the oxygen in your blood, and you die. <laughs> That's basically what happens. Yeah, yeah. You get you oh, get oxygen any... deprived. Yeah. Are
0: Are there any windows in the the office? No.
1: Or... So so this is this is a windowless office, but it has a, oh. like a, a high yeah, but it has a high end HVAC system installed. So there's oh. a there's like a special air exchange system so that there should be fresh air there. I think maybe it's pulling some air from whatever like a furnace exhaust or something like that but this is like a death trap potentially. So yeah. I'm like no. <laughs> I yeah. want I want time by myself but not that much. <laughs>
0: so <Yeah. laughs> you don't want an eternity. <laughs> exactly
1: no like eventually yes but that, no, I'm not quite ready for that yet. Um, (laughs) so we're 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 looking at some other places but you know one of the most important things that i've noticed in life in general is Mm. the kind of the intention and the decision because Mm. that's way harder it's way harder to decide that we now live in a relationship that requires this kind of thing that means we're not spending time together with the kids to acknowledge that that format actually isn't working as well as we'd hoped because we end up, my wife and I end up talking to each other and not paying any attention to kids. <laughs> we <laughs> like talking a lot, and in the yeah. evening, if if all four of us are at home at the same time, what my wife and I tend to want to do is to talk, and the kids are in the way. If one of us is with them, then you know we give a lot more attention to the kids. So, like, wait a second, this again, this ideal. Scene of the family spending time together. That's not how our dynamic works. We like one-on-one time in gotcha, every yeah. kind of permutation. In in like mm. all of us kind of like this this one-on-time one-on-one time with every other, but not family time. It's like and and then and as we were talking about this, like it felt like we were broken as a family. <laughs> Something's wrong where's the where's the the family time that we're supposed to have and enjoy and play ball ball or whatever throw frisbees the four of us like we don't that's not how like we have four however many it is six different relationships within us it's not
0: like (laughs) yeah all
1: right so Uh, we originally uh, wanted to discuss serious um, heavy um, topics yeah
0: that's right business of making (laughs)
1: money of making our uh, ourselves in the world so let's let let's talk about that and how is it going for you
0: yes uh yeah no definitely yeah again i appreciate you bringing me on i I think you've been really helpful and and yeah like uh, a few of our past conversations i've had uh, a few little light bulb moments i call it where i'm like ah I i didn't think about that, but yeah, I guess for, for what I'm doing, let's, I, I I'll, let's start with the, the, kind of the problem that I'm trying to solve and then we'll kind of go backwards from there. I guess like a quick introduction about myself. I originally started in recruitment specifically what's called a uh, agency recruitment or uh, what's called more commonly known as, as head headhunting. Um, did that for three and a half years into California, where I was oh, originally from. Rishi, and, uh, yeah,
1: let's, let's stop the video. Just keep the audio because I don't think your internet can handle that right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, sorry, the connective turn this off. Just like that. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's it. Is okay.
0: that better a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I came back to California, found out that so agency recruitment or headhunting is 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 a lot of sales, which personality wise didn't <laughs> I realized that wasn't for me. So I transitioned into the same type of industry. Uh, so I did recruitment internally as well as HR. So mm-hmm. managing candidates applying to the company and then also doing other everything else that HR does. And then a few years ago, 2018, wow. I started realizing kind of the limits of HR and the impact that I could have on the company. And so I, basically what had happened is the, my, the company I was previously at, they had a change a change in ownership. So not a venture, uh, uh, yeah, a funding company came in, bought out the company outright, and then a lot of things changed. I saw a lot of the people that I worked hard to recruit leaving. But also in that same time frame, I'd, I'd started to pick up an interest in software engineering since it was a SaaS company, and I found that I enjoyed that and started, started my career, I would say, three years ago, in transition into software engineering.
1: Wow. Um, that's, that's quite a transition from, from something very, very people-centric to something tech-centric. People don't often make the transition from one side to the other.
0: Yeah. So that's awesome. yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was a bit surprised myself how much I enjoyed it. There's a part of me kind of growing up always thinking like, oh, software engineering is for smart people. I'm not smart enough. <laughs> but then <laughs> as I started working in a tech company and becoming friends with a lot of these engineers and, you know, they'll show me, uh, I, I guess I was naturally curious. I would always, you know ask about how they do the work. And I was also involved with the recruiting process, oftentimes kind of managing the different applications. And then also we have, you know, engineering positions usually have some kind of technical portion and the, the yeah, company in the, in the did, interview. It, yeah. Yeah. Did, did usually, instead of doing all those algos, it was typically more of a take-home project type mm-hmm. of thing. And after managing, you know, going through the, you know, being the receiving end of those projects, I, I had a good relationship with the engineering manager. He was like, oh, well, Richie, if you're curious, you know, why don't you try running, you know, their solution and I'll do that. And yeah, it was, I just found it really fascinating, really cool.
1: Oh, wow. Um, That's so cool.
0: That's yeah. Awesome. So did, did you also, eventually,
1: did you eventually solve one of these take-home tasks? Was that like no, how you I got actually- into coding? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's actually probably a good thing. Actually, I, I might go back and try it. What really got me excited about coding was as a part. It was it started out as a project, uh, an HR project where I was I was learning Python, and I was like, oh, so our head of HR had purchased kind of like a market summary. It's it's kind of like a salary. I think it's called Salary.com, where but it was a paid subscription to this database where it's just a collection of People's salaries, of course, aggregated. So you don't know who earns so what specifically, but an aggregated data set of that. And she had she had purchased it, but hadn't done nothing with it. So one of my first full, I, I mean, you couldn't call it a program, but maybe a script, was I created a Python script that would take that data and then compare it with each with each employee salary based on market, and mm-hmm. found out that at least <laughs> at least Eight employees were significantly underpaid. So with that, the, the script would generate a PD or a PowerPoint presentation to kind of show just on a chart. Okay, this is your employee and this is where the market rate's at. You know, here you go. And I was uh, able to nice. get those it's, yeah, it's you it. know,
1: it's it sounds counter yeah. counter to what a business would usually want, like just from a simple <laughs> just from, from like the 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 very heartless bean counting perspective, an indication of where you're underpaying. Is probably not as exciting as an indication of where you're overpaying, but yeah, I see what you mean. Oh, oh
0: yeah, 100%. percent. Let's just say the finance team was not happy with me. Uh. Yeah, no, I, I would imagine. <laughs> like it's a very, it's
1: a very HR centric point of view because it, like, yeah. as an HR person, you care more. Your, your focus is to make sure people are happy, and if they're underpaid, obviously that's not going to fly.
0: Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So there, there's naturally a bit, little bit of friction, and fortunately, the the CEO at the time was was very supportive. So with that, we were able to to increase the the salaries for those those eight eight folks. Obviously, with a lot of pushback from the CFO, but <laughs> but yeah. So after that, I was just like, wow, there's a lot of cool. Th- I mean, you know, technology in some of these areas could really be helpful. And that's kind of what got me really excited about coding and learning about technology and kind of uh, brought me into this space. Since then, the first couple years of my career transition into software was mainly just doing front-end work for um, different fintech companies, a couple that are still around and then one that ended up not making it. But yeah, so, so anyway, that's kind of my background.
1: Nice, neat. You know, what one of the things that I'm like, we'll, we'll talk about what what you're trying to do right now, but one of the things that I spend a lot of my time and energy helping engineers do is mm-hmm. relate to to the people, <laughs> because oh, software yeah, engineers. Yeah like uh, like people like me basically i've been i've been doing software for about 25 years i'm like i'm like an original software engineer or programmer even because i started doing this way before i got officially trained in it we tend to see the world through code right and and the people who are who would use it, or the, the, the any kind of business process like sales or marketing or, or anything like that? It kind of gets whatever we coded up into people's hands is at best an afterthought and often not even a consideration at all. It's like a lot of the engineers I talk to, and again, it includes myself. We build things because it would be cool to build them or it would be cool it would be really cool if it existed and the consideration the question like would anyone use it or would this sell or anything like that is really really far from from our thought process so i'm spending a lot of time talking to people basically trying to get them well you know the podcast is called stop building (laughs) basically Mm -hmm. trying to get them to stop building and and the corollary is and and, and talk to people, like the, 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 everything um, else, yeah. every other feature of business and and in many ways every other feature of human existence is communicating with other people. Somehow, software engineers convince themselves that they can get away with not talking to people, or at least not talking to people <laughs> who are somewhat different than they are, and and hide behind code and we even have these almost mythical figures who have succeeded mm. in business through the power of code exclusively yes. it's uh, yes. it's it's actually it's not actually true by the way because for every software developer who succeeded just by coding you either find a partner who's excellent at the people stuff um, or you Either. find that these people also have phenomenal um personal skills so you know Steve Jobs and and Mark Zuckerberg are two great examples of people who are phenomenal engineers and somehow are actually awesome at the pe- people stuff doesn't mean they're necessarily nice people that's not what i mean what i mean is like <laughs> no it's it's not it's not the point right but but negotiating yeah, yeah, yeah convincing, persuading, communicating, even coercing other people to do what they want is a fundamental interpersonal skill. It's a set of uh, interpersonal skills that are very distinct from coercing a computer to do what you want. Those are two completely different things. Or convincing or alluring. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, no, 100%. And I, I think, yeah, y- your kind of message to the world is, is at least for me, refreshing too, because I think even despite my very people-focused background, I, I, was, I was finding myself becoming, you know, finding myself in that same trap where it's like, okay, well, <laughs> if I could figure out the solution, you know, through the code, maybe, you know, People will figure it out, but yeah, maybe I don't good. need to talk
1: to people, <laughs>
0: <laughs> or yeah, or maybe I don't have to talk to this, you know, this person or this type of person or <laughs> yeah. or something of that sort. But which I, I think, yeah, I, I've been, I, I've loved your content because it brings it back to the why in in building something. And I, I also do though, from the engineer's perspective, it is very fun to build something. There's just something yes. kind of inherently it it's like you know like if you're a kid and you have a bunch of you know a lego Legos, pieces yeah. and you're putting something other it does feel like that um uh, so so it is a matter of kind of balancing okay why why am i building this this feature or this software to what end are we doing it well, you know so figuring out the why in the building portion so
1: yeah and the why the why like if you figure out the why one of the primary why's that engineers come up with is because i need it because i want it because Mm -hmm. i think it needs to exist because i see a problem in the world it needs fixing it's very centered on the self and it provides a tremendous source of why so it it can allow people to work for years on a project that no one's using it's Mm -hmm. it's it's not actually that rare but The problem comes from a different direction. Once we discover this potential of turning technical skills into a source of income, not by having a job, but by building a business, Mm -hmm. and we realize that, oh, you know what? Like Some people have actually broken free from the nine-to-five or the rat race or whatever you want to call it. By doing that, then your why needs to be different. It can't be just about you it has to be about what other people need it has to be about what other people want otherwise you're going to be stuck in your basement building features for eternity it's it's not it's never going to be to relate to other people so i'm all in favor of people building things maybe open source maybe not for the pure passion of building things and solving complicated problems no problem with that this is this is an awesome it's an awesome way to live. But if you also need to some something to live off and you don't want to have a job, then eventually you need to connect that part with the outside world part so that whatever you're working on becomes a source of, of income and stability, maybe even affluence, depending on how successful you are. And that just doesn't happen without interacting with the outside world.
0: Yes, yes. I completely agree. Building a tool versus building a business, very, very different things. Um, exactly. So, so yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of why I'm having this conversation with you. I have, you know, I have this idea or, and we'll get back to it in a second, but yeah, kind of, yeah, making it into a business is... Is, it's it's a mystery and I, I think we see <laughs> the people that are successful and we try to emulate it but there's a lot of things that are not you know very very evident I think in these success stories that help <laughs> you know that help get us from point a to point B so well the stand
1: um, the standard story in in uh, indie hacker circles these days is that if you try enough things for a long enough time eventually success finds you That's kind of the basic, (laughs) that's the basic premise. Peter Levels is a, is a big proponent of that particular approach that if you build enough things quickly enough and kind of quick and dirty enough, and then try them out in the marketplace enough, you will eventually hit something that works. Now, there's a very interesting thing that you notice if you look at the pro at at the progress of these people that the first success takes a crazy amount of time Mm -hmm. and then any subsequent success is much easier Mm -hmm. so one thing in like when you look at the specifically peter levels uh, posted the list of projects he tried and which one of them failed and which one of them succeeded. I remember looking at that list and like, so there were like 20 or 30 things he tried before he had the first success. Mm. And then once he had his first success, almost every other project is a success and each success is bigger than the previous one. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So that points to something really fundamental. There is something that once you unlock it, it gets easier. Mm. It's not random to the same degree. It's not still trying 50 projects until one succeeds. No, something happens. Something changes in the world, in the person, in how they relate to the world, in, in the context, in what they're willing to do, in how they're looking for problems. Something changes that turns the first-time successful entrepreneur into a uh, repeatedly successful entrepreneur Mm -hmm. so that points to there being some kind of fundamental principle that makes this work otherwise it would have continued being completely random.
0: yeah yeah it's figuring out that one point (laughs) right is is i think the the gold mine i I guess for at least within the indie hacker community well
1: well we have we have some time let's figure it out (laughs) yeah yeah. So <laughs> I, my 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 claim is that it's not mm. it's not impossible to figure it out, but it is invisible. So when you look at mm. this at it at people's success and when people who are successful try to teach others how to replicate that, I think what they see are the wrong principles. Hmm. So so here's the first first hypothesis, Mm -hmm. a simple one. Once you have Mm -hmm. your first success with something after trying for a long time and whatever, whatever else happened, you have your first success. If you do this online, then that success comes with an audience. And then every subsequent success is based on that audience because you can Mm -hmm. now, you now understand your audience, you understand what they struggle with. And because you understand your audience and you understand what they struggle with and you have access to people, you you now come up even intuitively without thinking about this with ideas that have a higher chance of success. Mm, I see, I see. Therefore, there's absolutely nothing to learn from success number two because it is it is created in a completely different context
0: oh i see i see what you're saying
1: right so Mm -hmm. so when when an indie hacker creates his second project and it's wildly successful and they get to whatever crazy like thirty dollars thirty thousand dollars sorry mrr within three months Mm -mm. there's absolutely nothing we can learn from that Mm, i see in the same way that a multimillionaire, like someone with $10 million, says that the easiest way to create passive income is to invest $10 million in government bonds. It's objectively true, it's just not useful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the, so if you and I want to create passive income, that description of reality gives us nothing.
0: So we need yeah, to, unless focus we have on 10, 000, $10 million.
1: <laughs> yeah. But we don't like, and if we did, we already would have yeah. known that <laughs> because that's yeah. it's a fairly easy leap. I have the same problem with, with the small bets approach. The small bets approach yeah. means you can, uh, conceptually means you can create out like an info product or an app or something within say a couple of weeks. And then if it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, you move to something else. The problem here is like, what does it exactly mean works or it doesn't work? If you have 15 followers on Twitter, zero karma on Reddit, and no skills in, in talking about things, and no copywriting skills to speak of, and no way to get traction to your landing page, how do you know it didn't work? How do you know that the app you build in two weeks, build a landing page for, post it on Twitter, post it on Reddit, post it on Hacker News, no one's interested? How do you know you how do you know you failed? Yeah. There's absolutely no reason to believe that you've exhausted the the the, the possibility of this app becoming a success. And there is absolutely no reason to believe that if you build 50 of those, one of them will succeed. Maybe, but you're not improving your chances from one to the other.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting you say that because that that's kind of what I initially thought uh, your differences would be from, uh, sorry, what was the person before, Peter? Um, I feel well, like... there's
1: Peter levels and, and small bets is, uh, is Daniel Vassallo but there are lots of people oh, like see. that, like lots of awesome, smart, bright, successful people who try to glean the first principles of how to make businesses succeed from their own experience, mm-hmm. which is valid, uh, but not always yeah, functional.
0: I, yeah. I, I feel like, and I feel like your hypothesis is that maybe it wouldn't have taken 50 if, if there were some different points within the first few, uh, say the first ten, say, and you've actually really massaged the idea and tested it before, you know, in, investing whatever time. But I, I again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But well, um, it's it's that's kind it's of part how of it. I see it. It's yeah. part, it's part yeah. of it.
1: But in the in the entire noise of indie hacker space, there is a claim that is true. If you solve a problem that people have and are willing to pay money for then you are going to create a business. Okay. It's true. It's it's even it's even painfully obviously true. But this claim has a few limitations. First of all, not not every market or every kind of person has this perception of I have a problem therefore I will spend money to solve that problem.
0: Mm, yes
1: for example for example consumers predominantly don't think that way indie hackers by the way themselves typically don't think that way indie hackers Mm -hmm. don't think oh i have a problem let me spend some money to solve a problem no indie hackers say oh i have a problem (laughs) let me write some code to solve a problem
0: and maybe someone else could pay for it (laughs) maybe someone else could pay for it exactly so
1: there is a particular class of person who sees and understands viscerally the the equivalence between money and time and when faced with a problem they consider should I invest time in it or should I invest money in it and typically choose mm. money and these people are business people and it doesn't matter if this business person is an owner of a multinational mega corporation or just someone who has, I don't know, a lawn trimming service with two employees. It's a perspective. The perspective means money is a tool and the primary function of money is to create more money. That's a business Mm -hmm. person's perspective. An employee's consumer's uh, perspective is money is a tool to make me happier. Therefore, I will spend money to make me happy it's not a tool to create more money because an employee can't create more money out of money. They can create money out of work, not out of money. So that's why an employee would never spend money on things that solve problems. Unless these are like medical problems, they don't have a way to work around like anything an employee. And I'm generalizing here by like, well, you know, by a crazy margin. But anything that an employee or an employee-minded person can do themselves, they will prefer to do themselves. And they will hire someone if they can't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even something like parenting, we talked about kids, right? Even in something like parenting, a business person's approach is, is it more optimal to have an old pair take care of my kids or me doing the same thing?
0: Mm, i see yeah
1: right it's like it's a fundamental thing can i outsource the care of my kids to someone else that's why you don't see you typically don't see employees do that kind of thing and business people sometimes do and you know we put aside the ethical and moral implications of not raising your kids by yourself but it's a fundamental service that is available for a cost and there are many people who are struggling with parenting And yet they don't buy the very obvious service that provides relief for Mm that. So, so this is kind of the first fundamental principle. If you're trying to sell to people who typically don't buy, then you're going to have a very hard time doing that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And as a solopreneur, there are even more limitations. Because as a solopreneur, you can't sell to large businesses because they need the guarantees that you'll still be here five years from now. Yeah. So as a solopreneur, as well, you, can't, mm-hmm. right? you can't sell to an enterprise. And as a solopreneur, you, like we, we discussed, probably shouldn't sell to consumers because if they are willing to pay, they're willing to pay a little bit because we're all used to the price levels of Netflix and, and Spotify. Which are cheap because of economies of scale and because they are not even trying to be profitable in most cases. Yeah. They're burning VC funds, right? They're they're not like we're we're used to that kind of economy. So we're not like the, the actual cost of these services, if done by a solopreneur, is probably tens of dollars, maybe, maybe more, maybe, maybe two hundred. Who knows? Like nobody would mm-hmm. pay for that. So it only works as an economy of scale. So as a solopreneur, we can't go to either end. So now we're like, okay, we need to, this focuses on, on targeting business people, small to medium, medium businesses. But here's a an even bigger problem. Because as like indie hackers are reformed employees, right? We We began our lives, our professional lives as employees. And we're now trying to become business people. We don't know any business people. We don't know them. We typically don't have them in our families. We don't have them in our friend circle. We don't know how they think. We don't know how they function. We don't know how they make purchase decisions. We can't do proper market research in that space. We can't discover problems in that space. And we definitely have no intuition about what they need and what they don't need.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) percent.
1: so that's the predicament (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's the Mm -hmm. predicament of the indie hacker that's why it's hard to build profitable businesses so now what happens when people realize that and even when people don't realize that what happens is that the only kind of small business people that we do know and interact with are other indie hackers
0: right right
1: but other indie hackers are as stingy as we are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and Therefore, they're also often going the same issues that you're trying to go through. <laughs> exactly. I and they're solving the one same
1: one. problems. That's why, that's why the entire indie hacker community goes through waves of everybody building the same thing. Mm-hmm. It was Twitter tools, then it was crypto things, then it was AI, chat GPT wrappers. A- yeah. 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 <laughs> right like uh, through waves it's like everybody's building the same thing why is everybody building the same thing because this is the, the the kind of the closest approximation to something that other people might pay for other indie hackers and we don't have access to any other or we don't have easy access to any other community of small to business of small to medium businesses that we can solve problems for mm-hmm How's that sounding so far?
0: Oh no, yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's what I'm seeing within the community, as well as you know, I'm obviously quite guilty of that myself as well. So, which is why I'm on a call with you. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it it really does, I think, ring true that again. Just we do tend to try to solve something that we think is cool, but in reality, is it something that people will pay for? And I think, yeah, I, at least I haven't seen a whole lot of people trying to tackle that questions besides yourself. So, yeah. They, well, I've just redirected. Stuff. I've
1: just redirected my <laughs> desire to solve cool, difficult problems from coding to marketing. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. right? I, yeah. I'm still, I'm still looking for awesome problems and in interesting ways to solve them and here within this space i noticed something that to me became obvious but the interesting thing is people ask me well where are your crazy outlandish successes with SaaS startups and my answer is there aren't any because if there were then i would have landed on luck and then i would have reversed engineered my luck into a process and that wouldn't have worked for anybody else what I have mm. is a very long string of failures, very long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have and, and then mild successes in increasing kind of magnitude, specifically in 2022 is where I did most of my discovery around this, mm. where the first business I had, and not all of them were even software things, just like me trying to figure out how this, how does this crazy business thing even work? Because there seemed to be that as an industry, we're missing some basic fundamentals, like something wasn't working. So many media hackers trying to start to create apps and so few are successful. So something's obviously off. Anyway, the first business I had in 2022 made $200. The next one made $800. The one after that, it was like 36 dollars or 3700 $3,700. And then towards the end of 2022, I landed on something, which is kind of like what I'm doing now, uh, teaching and consulting around marketing that now I live off. And despite the fact that these were different things, like one was coaching, another was sort of like software. Fourth one was like courses, like just different types of businesses. But I realized that there was a core principle core maybe set of principles involved and the first one is what we talked about that solopreneurs need to target a very certain type of customer and every other type of customer is very difficult it's not impossible Mm. it's just difficult and you know a lot of indie hackers have this idea oh I'll just create a marketplace for this and that Mm. and the marketplace Mm. usually has Small and small and medium businesses on one side that the indie hacker has no access to, and a consumer on the other side, which requires tremendous scale. so I'm like, well you know if building a solo business you can live off is is hard, then building a marketplace you can live off that's damn near impossible. <laughs>
0: Yeah even no, though definitely. even though
1: it's easy and 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 the, the crazy thing is that building a marketplace from a technical perspective is really easy the only problem there is scale otherwise it's just like it's just an app like you know store some data load some data show some data on a web page that's that's basically it yeah there's no yeah, yeah. real technical challenge until you get to a scale that requires something beyond you know a single instance of an app and a single database and you would be lucky to get to that point
0: yeah yeah um, this is you know what you're saying now is is kind of what at least you know my my idea is going for and i'm starting to hit that that wall <laughs> and yeah uh, uh, what you're what you're saying definitely is is you know ringing in my heart <laughs> at the moment although it stings well, a little
1: I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I apologize for the, for, for the cold shower, but they say cold showers are really healthy. So, Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what we all need. I needed that too. You know, one of one of the, not my first, I've been doing this and trying to start businesses for almost 20 years now. Some of them were mm-hmm. more successful. Most of them were utter failures. Some were in hindsight could have been successes, but I gave up also happened. Mm-hmm. Uh in 2012, I think this was, I tried to start. I, I was just in full swing of my training as a life coach, and it was completely taken by the, the 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 ability to help people heal through compassion. It was like just completely blew my mind that this was possible. And I really wanted to combine that and kind of the experience I gathered as a as a coach, or maybe like even as an unofficial therapist with my skills as as a software developer, like I want to create a network or a social network where people can say what's actually on their mind and then get mm-hmm. empathic support from other people and have like ways of training and uplifting people to kind of to both the kind of the share role and the the support role to to create a community of of true emotional support for people it was called open emotion. Mm. That is a marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's even worse because it's both a marketplace and a community because and a community has its own set of problems because you need you need moderators and you need rules and you need to kind of adjust and you need to work with the community and you need the community to to be vibrant but not messy. And if yeah. you want a community and you also want to charge people for it, like people make this work, but it's, it's difficult. Mm. It is difficult. It's, it doesn't mean. So, you know, when I teach my, my course, when I'm saying the the, the hundred dollars MRR in three months, I don't put mm. any limitations on the ideas people come with like whatever idea you have, we can get to a hundred dollars MRR. And I believe that. But some ideas are harder <laughs> to make that work than others. It's not impossible. Yeah. You just yeah. in ca- in the case that if you have a marketplace, for example, you need product market fit on both sides. So you need mm-hmm. to find you need to find an appropriate pro- problem on both sides that match in the middle that solves both sides. So, for example, a market like a whatever a, a real estate marketplace, right? real estate agents or people selling houses, put their house up for sale. Someone else comes and buys a house Mm -hmm. and maybe you get a percentage off the sale, right? Like the the most basic thing. You need to make sure you're solving a problem, both for the people selling the house, which is the problem of finding a good buyer. And you want to Mm -hmm. solve a problem for the buyer, which is finding the right house for, you know, (laughs) for a cheap price. But then the problems become opposite because the seller wants to. His problem is to get the most for the house, and the buyer is to pay the least for the house. So in some ways, their problems are in conflict.
0: Oh yes, yes, exactly. So now, if
1: you, now if you're trying to solve for both, you're in a bit of a bind, because there's no obvious way to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In. It- so sorry a quick question back to your your previous idea the the open sorry I'm, open emotion the, the name already the, oh, uh, for that when did you find that i guess we have the challenge but i guess when did you make the decision to say okay i'm not going to do this anymore this is too hard i guess for, for me that's kind of where i'm at where i'm i'm, I'm trying to dis, you know decide okay is this Worth the investment that it would take to make this successful versus, you know, no. <laughs> Should I move well, on? Uh, two, um,
1: two, two parts to your question. Yeah. The first part is very specific to open emotion, or not very specific to open emotion. It is kind of specific mm-hmm. to marketplaces. Yeah. It turned out that the that the support would need to be done by myself and my wife exclusively. For a very long time. Mm. And it was a crazy amount of work. And a significant amount of heartache. Because people started coming in with some really deep shit.
0: Oh, Um, yeah. yeah, And while I
1: was happy to do that within like a therapy or coaching session, talking to someone for an hour, getting paid for that, and then, you know, meeting them next week. Here there were no boundaries. It was impossible to mm-hmm. say, you know, I don't want to support you any longer or or take some kind of break. It was it became very overwhelming, crazy fast. We maybe had mm-hmm. like 10 or 15 people on the network at the point where we said, Oh mm-hmm, the. Mm-hmm. So it's like so. I got spooked by the amount of work that required, and didn't have the mental flexibility of "Wait a second, this is this is a wonderful problem to have. It's actually working." <laughs> <laughs> because that was that, that was that was the reality of it. It was working. It was just beyond my capacity to understand how to how to deal with it. And we also got pregnant with our first kid at the time, so that threw me off. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- that was like that was a success of sorts. We we actually did kind of randomly landed on the need people had and the solution that people kind of resonated with. Just didn't have the the capacity to to pull through and the patience, because this kind of thing, like to get it to a point where we could monetize it, for example, that would have probably taken a few years and we probably would have needed an external investment to make this work. Like I'm now I'm, you know, 10 years later with you know, the benefit of hindsight. I like, think this like the way to make that project work is to get an investment to get for me to get off both of the support and of the coding so that i can focus on how to build the community and the relationships and so on and so forth i had no idea how to do that even now i don't like i know that this is what's required i just don't know how to do that i've never acquired those skills gotcha gotcha and in general How long should you push is related to the question of invalidation. So, you know, in our circles, we talk a lot about validation. If you put a landing page and you put a sales button and 10 people buy, then even before the product exists, that's that's, that's the myth, right? Then you've got validation, go forth. But what happens if you put up a landing page and nobody buys? Does that constitute invalidation? And if that doesn't, oh. that what exactly is invalidation? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So here's what invalidation actually means. Invalidation means you have an hypothesis of someone who wants, who should want to use your app. Mm-hmm. Let me find something on my desk that is a useful thing. Here we go. I have a set of wireless headphones by a Chinese company called Soundcore. Mm. How do you invalidate, like it's, it's a fairly dense market by this point, like, you know, wireless headset, Apple controls most of it, but there are other, other people. How can yeah. you invalidate that the market needs another set of headphones that are, let's say that the unique feature is that they fit into your ear so snugly that you can sleep on your side with the earphones, with the earbuds in your ears. Let's say that's kind of the unique feature mm-hmm. or the unique benefit. Th- that sounds great, you... by the way. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. But, le- but, but, but how, do you, how do you invalidate it? So in order to invalidate it, you need to come up with, with an hypothesis mm-hmm. of a person who should want it. Mm-hmm. The hypothesis would be someone who falls asleep with music and who for one reason or another cannot put that music on speakers. Mm. So let's just let's just roll with it. Let's say it's a a parent with or not a parent. Someone who lives I don't know next to barking dogs who is also a parent or whose partner doesn't like music. Right? Mm -hmm. So you kind of play around with it until you come to a hypothesis, who should potentially want that. And then you find people like that to talk to, which is like a separate thing, but this -hmm. is actually a solved problem. Like there are marketing research companies you can pay for, pay to find people with specific traits. They will go out into the world. And find uh, people like that, and we can also do it ourselves, but this is like, this is a separate conversation, just trust me, this is doable. Let's say we found 5, 7, 10 people like that, who meet the set of conditions in our hypothesis. And then we talk to them, and when, then we tell them about our magical earbuds that you can sleep on the side with, and listen to your calming sleep music. And then you say, we charge $90 for a pair. Mm -hmm. And they tell you, "Ah, yeah, I don't know. Probably not. Maybe. I'd need to see them. I'd need to actually try them out and see if it actually is as convenient as you say to sleep with them. Is that validation or invalidation?
0: I would say it's would be neither, right? Unless they actually try it.
1: No, that's invalidation.
0: Because the it's problem okay, so is that would not be Validation. Okay.
1: Yes, because the problem is not severe enough. Validation sounds like this. I see. This would be awesome. I'll pay you right now. If you can promise, you can make it fit in my ears. That's validation. Completely different energy. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you use a CPAP machine, right? That solves a really yeah. big problem for you. If someone says, you know <laughs> what? I, I have a different solution for you that doesn't require you to plug this thing into a, into a wall that the entire machinery fits in the thing you put up your nose. Mm-hmm. And you can actually twist and turn in bed without getting tangled in, in tubes. if you talk to like 10 people who are using CPAP machines and people are saying, you know what? I'm like, I don't know. I, I sleep. Okay. With the, with the way it is. Then that's, or I, I need to, t- I need to try it out. That's not validation. That's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in invalidation is you talk to a certain number of people, usually it's like six, seven, um, that should want your product for the price you're offering but don't or aren't sure need to Mm -hmm. that's invalidation but it's not invalidation of your idea, it's invalidation of a particular hypothesis about a particular niche of people who would use your idea in a particular way to solve a particular particular problem that's the only thing thing it invalidates
0: gotcha, gotcha that makes sense because yeah. you may
1: have you may have dozens of other niches and other use cases and other ways to reframe and rethink and reposition what you have in mind and you may have validation in one of those mm-hmm. and then a proper invalidation of your idea is an exhaustive an exhausting process and and exhaustive research where you actually invalidate all the possible niches. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't actually need to do that. And the reason you don't need to do that is emotionally, as as an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. if you invalidate three niches, you will already have 17 other ideas that you would want to work with. I've never seen anybody Try more than three times on the same kind of product, the same idea. It's just like it it just erodes our capacity and motivation so much.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But one isn't enough. Just one is not good enough. So if you invalidate it. So, first of all, deciding it's not good enough because you put up a landing page and no one's coming, that's not, that's nothing. That's not even data. If you talk to seven people presenting a certain, like trying a certain hypothesis about what this is is useful for and they all say no or don't say yes, yes, you've invalidated one niche. That's way better, but it's still not quite enough. Mm -hmm. If you do this three times, so you basically, you talk to like 20 people with three distinct ways of positioning the same thing and you get lukewarm answers from all of these, this is actual invalidation, and you should mm-hmm. definitely drop your product. Now, here's the here's the silver lining. As you're doing these invalidation calls invalidation conversations and talk to these people, if you do this correctly, you will find real problems that people actually need a solution for. You will find real, ideas that have business potential and that have a higher chance of validation because you've just validated with it, with with one, with one person because they told you that. And that's the reason so many startups need to go through a pivot because they start with an idea and then they go out into the market and in the process of validating or invalidating their product, they actually discover a problem that does exist. And the reason they discover a problem that does exist is that their commitment to the original product provided them with enough motivation to go in to talk to enough people in that niche to find that. Because the good problems are not visible superficially. They're hiding deep kind of in the the individual process of each niche. And that's what happens. You discover the product you should build in the process of talking about the product that you did build. Mm, I see, I see. but that can be systemized. You don't need to actually invest six months of coding before you go talk to people.
0: Yeah all you need to do yeah. is
1: choose a niche and commit to actually exploring it properly. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Say in the example of your marketplace. And let's go back to the real estate example where you have mm-hmm. buyers and sellers. Say if you have, you, you're getting positive validation from, say, buyers, and but it, essentially it's the same process, right? You're just going through different, let's call them personas of people who would uh, potentially be paying for your product. I guess within a, in that situation, you just have to do, Kind of, you you just had to check two different types of twice uh, as many conversations. Would, yeah, twice yeah. as many conversations, right? And, okay.
1: and and you and I both know how how software engineers love to have conversations, so that's why it's twice <laughs> as hard. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, you know, that at least for me personally, that's that's I've been having conversations that you know the past couple months, couple weeks. And it has been really insightful. I'm personally not sure if I've come to the place where it's invalidated yet, but yeah, I guess that, I think that process of actually going out and, you know, testing that niche and yeah, at the end of the day, talking to people is really important to figure out, you know, is it, is it worth it for the next step? Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the core point is that invalidation comes from conversations and not from anything that sounds like it is a marketing-related or building-related type of activity. And it doesn't, it doesn't require any prerequisites. Because you're when you're invalidating, you're basically invalidating the problem, not the solution. You're invalidating the fact that the problem is important enough to solve, not the solution that you've come up with. So you can invalidate things without having any idea how to solve them.
0: Sorry, sorry, let me let me think through that again. So you could invalidate the wait, sorry, could you say say that one more time? I think that's really key. So
1: when the, the yeah. The think what we were discussing, earbuds that fit in your ear to yeah. that you can sleep on your side, right? Mm-hmm. This is the solution. The problem we're alluding to is or the desire we're alluding to is the desire to sleep on your side while listening to music. Mm-hmm. So when so you have these conversations, yeah, and that that is invalidated. Like people do not have a strong, like for example, right? It's not, I don't know, maybe maybe someone who listens to this picks this idea up and becomes a, a multi-billionaire by by building these earbuds. I'm pretty sure technologically it's becoming possible to miniaturize to that extent. What becomes invalidated is the desire of people in a particular niche to want to sleep on their side with earbuds in or to sleep in there's on their side while listening to music mm-hmm. you invalidate the problem because but if you do validate the problem the solution could be earbuds and the solution could be like a speaker embedded into your into your pillow
0: mm. right <laughs> way see. easier to build yeah so. yeah oh i see i see yeah, I never had thought about that. Yeah, trying to in in I guess that that type of thinking changes how you talk with you know potential customers, right? You you're you're testing the the problem or you're trying to invalidate or validate the problem not not necessarily the solution. The solution could be something that you could come up based on the feedback of the problem. Yeah, okay, wow. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think about exactly.
1: that. Oh. yeah and that's that's the that's the biggest kind of realization I had so mm-hmm. the two parts mm-hmm. most people in the world don't think of problems as something they can pay to pay money to solve so we need to focus on people who do think that way mm-hmm. and when we're busy validating or invalidating something it shouldn't be our solution it should be the original problem Even if we've built the solution already, even if we spend three years building an app, the actual process is still validating and invalidating the problem because then if we do validate the problem, we also learn how people think about it, what words they use, how do they perceive it, what they compare the the, the different solutions to, and so on and so forth, and that feeds directly into marketing marketing is nonsensical unless you know what people want
0: yeah yeah so
1: yeah so I, I'm actually I've been actually I just recalled that I've been working on a on kind of a lead magnet type of thing like basically a free or a low-cost product that I haven't decided on the name or the cost or even the format yet but there is a certain there when you have these conversations you go through like certain steps at first you don't know anything about the niche right or or you don't you don't know anything about the kind of problems people experience in the niche and then as you kind of go through these conversations you you first get a glimpse of the problem and then you get a glimpse of the potential solution and then you get a glimpse of other things that are around that and pricing and all that and i basically have this framework where you go through five types of conversations Mm-hmm. And by the time this is complete, you should have um, a few pre sales under your belt, mm. which is the ultimate validation, of course. Well, that's basically a process that, like, it kind of puts all these conversations and all these discussions into a sort of repeatable framework.
0: Mm, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And yeah, I know, think maybe...
0: that would be valuable. Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe we can maybe we can take some some guessing out of the whole indie hacker, solopreneur, small business
0: journey. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't like to guess. And I don't like to throw things against the wall to see what sticks. I like to yeah. have an understanding. <laughs> or at least if I do throw, throw things against the wall, I would want the next thing to be stickier than the previous thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At the very
1: least, I would like to learn something from one iteration to another. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing?
0: Yeah, yeah. And and I think that goes back to what we were discussing before, where you know, try try fifty things. If if each thing that you you know you try to work on, if it's if the next one is somewhat a little bit stickier, eventually, hopefully, eventually you get to <laughs> it. it. Exactly, good. exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's exactly the point. And if they're not, then you're just throwing fifty similar things against a similar wall with nothing yeah. to show for it. Yeah. Well, I hope this is uh, helpful.
0: Oh yes, yes, definitely. I it's it's kind of realigned me into the concept of you know validating and invalidating, which is. You know what i think i need to work on right now um i think there's a little bit of a challenge at least for me personally because i, I guess my concept is a bit of a marketplace <laughs> so it is in some aspects a lot harder um so separate. it's, and, a, sep- I, it's yeah, a separate also...
1: conversation on how to how yeah. to make that
0: work <laughs> yeah exactly and so, yeah, I think uh, it, it's, it's definitely been insightful, but yeah, I think still quite a bit more to think through and yeah. So, so I think that's kind of where I'm at. Um,
1: well, that's great. Things to think about is a, is a good place to be. Thanks for listening. If you want to be a guest on the show and talk through the problems you're facing with your business, you can send me a message on Twitter at Finer Ellie. My DMs are always open. And if you're ready for some deeper work, I can actually help you find product market fit for whatever it is you're building. You can find details about how this works, how much it costs, and what I can promise you on my website at growthlab.so. See you next time.